Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal Church of Chicago. It is a joy and a delight to be with you. As Pastor D introduced me earlier, it is uh, my first Sunday officially on staff, and I uh, am so excited to be a part of this incredible church. And as we get ready to open up the scriptures, I want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 20, as we continue our series Uh, in the book of Philippians. If you're new to the scriptures, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible at all, I want to invite you just to Google Philippians chapter 3, and then you can just scroll down to where it says 12, and that's where we're going to begin our time together. And as Pastor D says, and I say together, I don't know who uh, picked it up first, but when you've got Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 20, would you go ahead and do me a favor, shout right there in your living room, I got it. Amen. Let me read it into our hearing together. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The very words of Scripture. Amen? Amen. When I was a seminary student, I moved to Memphis, uh, and Pastor Derek and I were there at the same time, and I had a roommate who, uh, before he felt called to go into ministry, he was uh, a track athlete for The Ohio State University, and he loved uh, to remind me that he went to The Ohio State University. And so back in his track days, though, he loved to tell stories of the things that they had achieved and uh, the accolades that they had uh, aspired to in uh, their career there as track athletes at The Ohio State University. And uh, he, in particular, loved the 400-meter relay. And so loved the 400-meter relay. And one of the reasons why he loved the 400-meter relay 
is because it had a sense of camaraderie with the other three runners uh, that he ran with. And so he loved to show us the baton uh, that they would use to pass on to one another. And, uh, and he would show us how to receive the baton. He would show us how to extend the baton. And, and that was one of the unique things about that particular race, that particular event, is that it took a team to do it. And one other interesting thing uh, about the 400 meter relay is that the starting line that each runner begins or each team begins uh, running from actually ends up being the finish line as well. So they start in one place and they finish the race in that same place. And much like my friend's 400-meter relay, as we get ready to come to our passage this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Philippi, uh, and he's writing from a jail cell, as we've been discussing over the past several weeks, uh, and it's from this jail cell that, uh, as we've been discussing the past several weeks, it's from this jail cell, uh, uh, you can almost imagine, you can almost picture it, right? Uh, Paul is writing and Sports Center is on in, in the background as he writes, and he, uh, he employs the use of a running metaphor, and it carries with it the idea of a long-distance race that captures the journey that every follower of Jesus is on in their lives. Uh, and much like my friend's 400-meter relay, the race begins in one place. Uh, it begins with a person. Uh, it uh, it, 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 it begins with knowing Jesus. And the finish line is where it began, with a fuller, more incredible expression of knowing that same person whose name is Jesus. And Paul's point in employing that metaphor of, of a race is to show us the process of spiritual growth is just that. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It is a journey, one, one that takes effort and dependence. And so this morning, I, I want to preach from the subject, a joyful striving, uh, a joyful striving uh, in order for us to kind of follow along where I'm headed, where we've been and where we're going this morning. I want to give you a table of contents. And the first thing that we're going to look at is a distinct faith. Secondly, we're going to look at a joyless striving. And third, and finally, we're going to look at a joyful striving. So a distinct faith, a joyless striving, a joyful striving. Uh, I, I want to preach from the subject this morning, a joyful striving. Would you bow your heads wherever you're at and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather together, even virtually this morning, uh, to worship you, to sing to you as we've done, to, uh, to give back in response to your generosity towards us, to uh, now hear your word. And so I pray, Lord, that Jesus would be exalted and your word would be explained. It is to that end, Father, that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So our passage this morning is closely tied to the beginning part of, of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
So what Paul is essentially saying is uh, these followers of Jesus is, is, is essentially something that he's already said to them before. Not only has he restated himself in this particular letter, as Pastor D has been saying uh, throughout the series on Philippians, he, he, uh, he repeats himself often, uh, but what he's saying throughout the letter is not just in the letter, but he's probably spent hours unpacking these same ideas with a good amount of the same people who are there at the church in Philippi from the time when he was back in Philippi and they just got the church started. And much in the same way for many followers of Jesus, you and I need to be reminded and reoriented to the gospel of grace. And in the, the beginning of chapter three, these dogs that Paul talks about, uh, it, they are people who basically came into the church at Philippi and they said, yeah, we're, we're all for that Jesus stuff, but, but you have to keep the Mosaic law in order to truly be made perfect. Look with me back at chapter three and verse two. It says this, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So here are these evildoers who have come into uh, into the church at Philippi who are teaching something different than what the Apostle Paul was teaching the churches. He says uh, th these are people who mutilate the flesh. They, they are they are religious people. They aren't crazy witch doctors. These aren't uh, aren't people who are against going to church on Sundays and serving meals to the homeless. These aren't people who uh, who are against giving financially to good causes. They believed in all of that stuff. But these are people who believe that they had arrived at something spiritually. These are people who looked at the religious ceremony of circumcision, that idea of mutilating the flesh. And you might kind of transpose our idea of uh, oftentimes the, the ceremony of baptism or the symbolism of baptism or the symbolism even of communion, which we'll participate in uh, later on today. They, they would look at those things as things that they participated in that made them righteous. These are the reasons. These are the things that we've done in order to earn acceptance and approval from God for their right standing with God. And not only their right standing, but these things have made them perfect. They have attained perfection through them. And Paul comes along in our passage in chapter three in verse 12. And, uh, and he says this. Will you look at it with me? He said, not that I have a, a already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Herein lies the fundamental difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you got to pay close attention here because Paul is making a very specific, a very particular point. The religious Jewish people who had come into the church at Philippi, these these dogs, as Paul calls them, they're saying Jesus is cool. We like Jesus. But really, you need to practice the Old Testament law. You need to get circumcised, etc. And we figured this out. We've been perfected. We have arrived. And Paul turns around and says to the church in verse 12, I haven't obtained perfection. I haven't arrived, 
but I'm pressing on to make it my own. Why are you pressing, Paul? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. How did Jesus make you his own, Paul? By faith. Here's the gospel truth. There was nothing you could do to make yourself acceptable to God. You and I couldn't keep the law of God in our own strength. And even if you're not religious this morning, the, the laws or the boundaries that you set up for your own life that, aren't, uh, that have no authority other than you, you can't even keep those things in your own strength. That's, that's why the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what happens is that when you and I place our faith in the perfect life, the sacrificial death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we get united to him so that when the father sees us, he sees the perfection of Jesus because we're in him. So Jesus is the grace of God and faith gives us access to that grace. Let me say that again. Jesus is the grace of God and faith clinging to him, trusting in him, gives us access to that grace through which we are then united to Jesus. That, that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's because the only way to have access to grace is to recognize that you need grace. That, that is a fundamental distinctive of Christianity. So Paul is saying that, that, that the kind of striving for maturity that these religious people who had come into the church at Philippi are promoting is literally antithetical to the gospel. And it is a completely joyless striving because every act of religious or spiritual practice is an act of duty. It is uh, it is never an act of delight when it's when it's my responsibility to justify myself or to gain approval and belonging through my own effort. Paul's desire and the thing that is going to make him perfect is to take hold of that which took hold of him, he says. So who took hold of Paul? Jesus. What is Jesus? Grace. What is Paul's objective in life? To take hold of Jesus and to know him more intimately and deeply until he is fully known. All right, Steve, give me some Bible for that. I, I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to come go with you, but I, I need you to show me the scriptures and how the scriptures paint a portrait of, of that. That's what Paul is striving for. He has not been made perfect, but he's trying to attain uh, knowing Jesus more intimately and perfectly. Flip back or look back with me at chapter 3 and verse 10, and we'll put the words up on the screen. It says, uh, this Paul on the heels of uh, verse nine, he says, uh, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There is that language by faith. He's been declared righteous because he's been united to Jesus 
And now in his union with Jesus, he wants to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. He wants to know him. He wants to share in his sufferings. He wants to become like him in his death that by any means possible, just as Jesus rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death, that through his union with Jesus by faith, who is the grace of God personified, he might attain resurrection from the dead just like Jesus did. First Corinthians 13 and verse 12 puts it this way. Uh, Paul writing this as well. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known, I'm pressing, I'm pressing because I'm only seeing in part and I want to know fully even as I am fully known. Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John 3 and 2. He says, uh, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Hear that language of knowing again. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is Paul's goal. To experience the full intimacy and knowing of the one who created and sustained the universe, who loved him enough to step into his mess and save him through sacrificially dying in his place, who by faith he is united to. Now he sees partially, but now he's striving so that he can see fully. Paul puts it this way in verse 20 of our passage, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior. We're waiting for Jesus to know him more fully, to know him fully, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself through our union with him by faith. That is what we are waiting for. In essence, much like my friend's 400 meter relay, we will finish where we began. But when we began, we only knew in part. And when we finish, we'll take it all in. That is a, a distinct faith. That is a, the difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is something that we receive by grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ and trusting in that grace that God has provided that unites him to us and not through our performance do we gain acceptance or approval, Strictly on the basis of faith. As we turn our attention to the second portion of our table of contents and the second portion of, of our passage, I, I want to move on from a dis distinct faith and I, I want to look at a joyless striving, a joyless striving. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, and I'll read the words into our hearing. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straighting forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul says, I I haven't arrived. And and those folks who say they have are grossly, they're grossly mistaken. But one thing I do, I strain forward. I press on. I'm striving. I'm straining. That word press in our passage means uh, it means to move rapidly and decisively towards an object. Uh, In Paul's words, it is towards a person. Uh, and, and some of you may ha- have grown up in sports and uh, and this paradigm that Paul uses of this uh, kind of marathon track event, uh, it, 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 it paints a picture for you of straining and striving and, and pressing. Uh, and, and yet the way that we experience sports was very distinct from the pressing and the straining and the striving that Paul is talking about here in our passage. Others of us, you may have had parents who, when you did uh, what they wanted you to do, you, you could do no wrong. Man, you, uh, you were the best thing since sliced bread. Whenever you got A's on your report card, man, you were the bomb dog diggity, right? And, and then on the other side, of the flip side of that, when you failed their expectations in some way, you were a complete failure to them. Others of us, you, you know you got into that program or, or you got into that school because you had those great grades. Or, or we all experience the, the performance reviews at work and, uh, and they determine our standing in the company or our ability to gain a promotion. And really, my paradigm of sports, it, it focused on, uh, on my ability to perform and gain approval. I... I Played a ton of sports when I was a kid. I played baseball, basketball, and football. And my father passed away when I was uh, really young. And so sports was a place where I knew I could go to get male affirmation and male approval. Uh, and so I played it all. I played baseball, football, basketball. And, and one of the things that I, I remember from uh, my football days is uh, sometimes the football uh, football coach would just straight up cuss me out uh, when I did something bad. And uh, and whenever I did something good, I got incredible praise for it. Right. Uh, and and so whenever whenever I did uh, bad, it was just like, man, I was just he just was going at me. Just last chance you for any of my uh, Netflix watchers, last chance you just getting cussed out. Right. Then you throw a touchdown pass and it's like you won the Super Bowl and you are the best person in the entire world. Right. Uh, you are the apple of the coach's eye. That was my experience on the football field. And uh, later on, when I went to college, I played baseball at a junior college. And when I came into the school, there was a lot of praise. There was a lot of excitement for me to be there from the coach because I was a left-handed pitcher. I was pretty good at what I did. And, um, and, and so there, there was excitement around me being there. And so I was there for that first year and everything was all good. And then all of a sudden, the second year that I was there, I got a lot of tendonitis in my shoulder. Uh, and for a left-handed pitcher, that means essentially you're no use to me. So after a while, it became it began to feel like I was an invisible player on the team. Whereas I came in, there was all this excitement and praise. 
And then when I was leaving, it was like I was the invisible player on the team. And sadly, I think what happens to us in our spiritual lives is that that's the way that we begin to view God. We begin to view God as that football coach who cusses you out when you do something wrong, or at least he's somewhat emotionally and, and, and verbally abusive. And, and when you do really well, there's this incredible praise uh, and, and, and we look maybe at our, our relationship to God and we, we think of our parents who, when we did really well, uh, we got all the praise and accolades. And when we did really poorly or when we made a, a mistake, we were only as good as the last good thing that we did. And after a while, that relationship gets exhausting. But you see, the reason why we take those things and put them over the lens of our faith is because we see it everywhere around us. Most everything in our lives has been about what have you done for me lately, right? Most everything in our lives, we perform, we get good grades, we get a good performance review, we get a promotion, we get a scholarship, right? And that's simply not the way Christianity works. So often we feel inundated with that perspective. Performance breeds acceptance and praise that we take that same paradigm and we look at our faith through that lens and we see the words of Paul saying, we're pressing, we're striving, we're straining and we begin to see God through the lens of my high school football coach, this kind of love-hate, slightly emotionally abusive relationship. And there, a shift happens. It's a very natural shift. It's a very natural shift because grace is such a foreign concept to our experience. In fact, Paul actually talks about this in another book that he wrote to the churches at Galatia. Uh, he says this in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, and the words will come up on the screen. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After starting in the Spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? And you may not be able to get this just at a casual glance uh, at this passage, but the same kind of people who were at Philippi were there in Galatia and they were telling the churches in Galatia that Jesus was good, but they needed to add the Mosaic law and circumcision in order to truly be spiritual. And you can just tell by the emphasis of the language that Paul uses that he's upset. And he's upset because the Galatians know they experience righteousness or justification be, being declared right with God and belonging and acceptance and approval from God, not on the basis of their religious activities, which is what they're suggesting, but on the basis of grace through faith. It wasn't anything that they could do to earn. And they had moved on to religious activities in order to be made perfect. And so often, I think that's what happens to us. 
And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, having begun by grace, are you now going to be perfected through your own effort? We begin by grace and we try to finish with works. We try to finish with religious activity. We begin by grace and we try to earn righteousness. We start out, Jesus is awesome. Man, I love Jesus. I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my faith. Then I I mess up. Shoot. Man, I I, got to get this thing together. Now I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my faith. Back growing in my faith. Dang, I I messed up again. I got to get back to the word, to to the scriptures, and I got to get back to prayer. And uh, I got to get these blocks on my internet. And and I got to listen to some more Christian music. And I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my faith. And then I mess up again. Now in the process of me growing in my faith, something has switched. Now I got to go back to the Word to, the, to read the Scriptures in prayer, not to spend time with God. But now I, I got to get back to those things to get back into God's good graces. Maybe I'll fast at lunch and, and maybe I'll just pray more and then God will, will be appeased and, and bam, in an instant, God is no longer the God of grace, but he's my high school football coach who praises me when I do good, who's verbally and emotionally abusive when I do bad. And before we know it, we read passages like the one in front of us in our text today, and we read striving and straining and pressing, and it feels exhausting. There's no joy in it. It's just duty. Prayer is just something I should do. I, I, I feel shame if I don't pray. Or prayer is just something I do in order to get something from God. And reading my Bible is just something I do. It's, it, it's not uh, so that I can hear from God or be with God and, and talk with God. They're, they're, they're just activities I do so that I can get what I need when I need it. I can say, God, look at all the things that I've done for you. Can, can you just do this one, one thing for me? And I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I'm not telling you, friend, what I heard. I'm telling you what I know from my own personal experience. Some of y'all hadn't said amen yet. So let me just show you how this shows up in our own passage. Look with me at the middle portion of verse 13. Paul says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We, we learned last week, Pastor D taught us that Paul had an incredible amount of accolades and accomplishments to point to that he could boast about. Right. But he also had an incredible amount of things he could feel deep, incredible shame for. Uh, That's why in another portion of Scripture, he calls himself the chief sinner because Paul actively pursued, ensured the capture of, and ultimately the assassination of Christians. Even if he didn't do it with his own hands, he was responsible for it. That was a part of Paul's past. That's why he calls himself the chief of sinners. 
He says, he says the good stuff and the terrible things, I, 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 the, the, the things I keep locked up in the closet of my mind, the stuff I don't talk to anybody about, I am forgetting what lies behind. Why? He says, this is my only desire, verse 9 of chapter 3. Forgetting what lies behind, so that I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Watch this now. Let me show you how this joyless striving in our attempt to earn righteousness shows up in our own lives. There are things in your past that you feel great, incredible shame for. There are things in your past that you wonder if I had just made a better decision here or if I had just uh, made a better decision there, if I had just done that thing, if, uh, if I hadn't hurt that person, that Uh, that still come to your mind. There are things that still come to your mind from time to time, and you hold on to it, and, uh, and, and it haunts you in a way. You're holding on to those things. How could I have done that? Maybe my life would be in a different place if I had just done this. The very essence of why you feel that way is because you want to earn righteousness. Let me let that sink in. The very fact that you hold on to the failures and faults of your past is because there's some part of you that wants to say, Jesus, you're cool to begin with, but now I got it from here. In that way, we are doing the exact same thing that the people Paul is condemning in our passage are doing. Because you have missed the very fabric and function of grace itself. Which is the essence of what makes Christianity, Christianity. You began at the right starting line, but you veered off from the course and began to run your own race. That is joyless striving. That is exhausting Striving, that is duty and not delight. That is a pressing towards exhaustion. And if I could just send this note your way through this camera lens to your TV or computer this morning. Some of you who are listening to me under the sound of my voice. You're holding on to things that God has already moved on to. Let me say that one more time. Some of us 
are holding on to stuff that God has already moved on from. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and pressing, pressing toward what lies ahead. So Pastor Steve, what, what is a joyful striving? What, we, we've looked at the distinctiveness of uh, our faith in the gospel of Jesus and how it's based on grace and not earning favor with God and the kind of striving that uh, we find uh, so often find ourselves in this joyless striving where we're trying to earn favor with God. We begin with grace and we try to move on towards kind of striving and straining in our own strength. What is, what is the joyful striving that Paul is talking about? Well, uh, look with me, look with me at verse 10, will you? What does it mean to strive and strain and press in a way that brings joy? Verse 10, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. It is to know Jesus, that that is the goal of your life, to know him more intimately and deeply. That is, that is the purpose of your straining. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make uh, it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The righteousness that depends on faith introduces us to a relationship with God through Jesus. But Paul's objective is to know him and the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings and be like him in his death. So I want to know him, Paul says, but not just to be introduced to him. I, I want to experience all of what it means to be united to him. Why? Latter half of verse 12. Here it is. Here it is. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. He says, I'm, I'm straining, I'm, I'm pressing, I'm, I'm striving because of grace. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. That is the motivation for my straining and my pressing and my striving. Because when, when he wasn't on my mind, I was on his mind. Because when I didn't have a righteousness of my own, he gave me his righteousness. Because he knew what I was going to face in life before I did. The difficulties and the griefs and the sorrows. Because he knew there was going to be a coronavirus that was going to leave me jobless because he knew there was going to be a virus that kept me isolated from friends and family. He knew so he gave me grace to sustain me in my time of need. I'm pressing. I'm striving. I'm straining. Because he took hold of me. And because of grace, I get to take hold of him. 
I, I got to pray because now I, I want to know him more. I, I got to read my Bible because I want to know him better. I want to obey God because I want to reflect him and his love to the world. I got to share my faith because he loved me enough to share his message with me of grace and love through someone else. I'm pressing. I'm, I'm straining. I'm, I'm striving to know him not from duty because he's my mentally and emotionally abusive football coach who's constantly asking what have you done for me lately but I'm pressing because the God of the universe calls me beloved child by grace and watch this watch this now I'm striving because he took hold of me but Paul leaves no room for any of us to be like, okay, cool, I, I get grace, so that means I can do whatever I want to do because I know that I'm going to be forgiven for it. No. The very nature of grace alone motivates a response of obedience. The, the obedience is just motivated by gratitude and not because we feel obligated. Any other response just means that you and I don't understand grace. I'm pressing because he took hold of me. So tomorrow morning, before you pick up your phone, spend some time with Jesus in a devotional or in prayer, not because you have to, but because you want to know him better today than you did the day before. When you and your spouse or you and your roommate are creating the calendar of the events for your life, ask yourself the question, how does this calendar reflect our pressing to know Jesus more? Is there no margin for caring for the needs of others? Is there no margin to get to know our neighbors, to love them, build relational capital with them in hopes that we might share the one who took hold of us? When you go to pray and read your Bible and you feel no sense of joy, no delight, maybe your prayer might be that God would give you delight in getting to know him more. Ask him to show you his goodness and grace. After all, the very fact that we're praying means he's afforded us an intimacy with him that transcends circumstances and even the pandemic that keeps us isolated from other friends and family. He sticks closer than a brother. He's with me in the middle of it all. Paul says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That means that growing in intimacy with Jesus is not something you and I do in isolation. We need people in our lives who can remind us of the incredible nature of grace because our natural inclination is to shift to duty instead of delight. It's to try to earn righteousness instead of growing in our understanding of grace. And maybe part of that, that's your consistent prayer every day. You know your constant proclivity to move to the space of performance, to gain approval, and to view God as some kind of cosmic butler in the sky you usually only pray to to get things from him, or you see him the, the way you see your boss for your performance review. Maybe part of your pressing towards the goal is constantly rehearsing grace to your soul. 
And the reality is that is best lived out in community. Maybe as September begins to develop, your move in the midst of pressing and knowing is to move into community, even if it's on a Zoom call. To join a small group in your area, in in your region, because you know that you can't do Christianity on your own. You need somebody else to remind you who who you can imitate and who can remind you and rehearse the gospel of grace to your soul because your natural inclination is to not receive grace. And after we've pressed, after we've strained to know him more and more and be found in him, there will come a day when we see him face to face. Verse 21, our Savior will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And as John uh, put it, we will see him as he is. And, And when we see him fully for who he really is, we will in one moment in time see the source of everything that has ever taken our breath away, every beautiful sunset, every amazing voice, just like Demond and the uh, incredible voices that we heard earlier this morning, every beautiful landscape and every incredible mountain, everything we've ever looked at and said, wow, that is amazing. We will see the source of all of those things in one moment in time when we see Jesus, when we take hold of him. It's it's to that end that Paul says, I'm pressing. I'm straining, I'm I'm striving, I I began the race by grace through faith. The finish is the same as the starting line, but the finish line is so much sweeter than the starting line. And all of what I've been describing to you is possible because our Lord Jesus Christ pressed his way to the cross so that he could take hold of you. And now he empowers and enables you by the power of his spirit, by faith in the grace that's been provided, the person and work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. He empowers and enables you to take hold of him. That is a joyful striving. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the reality is that the natural inclination of our souls is to perform to gain acceptance. The natural inclination of our souls is to start with grace and move on to performance. And so, Father, would we rehearse grace to our souls this morning? Would that be our prayer? When we think to approach you, would we not think of my high school football coach, but would we think of a father who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, that, it, that when we think of your love, God, it's not conditional. It's not that, uh, that because Jesus died for me, God loves me, but it was God's love for me that sent Jesus to die for me. Uh, you are a good father who gives good gifts to his children. God, we long to know the power of your resurrection to understand the sufferings that we might 
grow in intimacy and union with Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.